Welcome back to another episode of Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast. We are the prime intersection of sports and the law. I am joined here today by Evan Mattel and Mike Kravchenko. Uh, what's up, Evan? What's up, Mike? How you guys doing? Doing awesome. I mean, I'm happy to hop on with you guys. I mean, this is the first time working with you guys on a conduct podcast. Uh, we got Dan's a little absent, spending some time in Florida. I mean, must be very nice down there. It's getting a little chilly up here in Long Island, but uh, <laughs> how about you, Evan? How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. I think it's been like maybe close to a year since I've been on, on a conduct podcast, so it does feel real good to be back. I got to say. I'm glad to have you, Evan. Uh, it's been it's been a minute for me. Uh, I've probably it's probably been a little bit over a month for me since I've recorded. Uh, we've both Taryn, myself, and Holly have taken a little bit of break on the NIL hour, but we will be back. There is a lot to cover on NIL stuff. We are going to cover some college stuff today, um, but definitely listen closely for the next uh, NIL hour to come. Uh, Holly is gearing up for her finals, uh, as I'm sure. Uh, Everyone in law school is gearing up towards final season, so she's going to be uh, even more of a little hiatus there. But, but like I said, we've got some college uh, on the docket for today. Uh, we're going to cover a few different things, some uh, money issues, I guess you could say, as it relates to some college programs, some big college programs. We're going to talk about uh, Arizona University and uh, some – I don't know, budgetary issues, budgetary flubs uh, that, that caused a, a bit of a, a chaos and, and some, quote, draconian cuts to be made within the school, uh, not just the athletic program, but the school in general. Uh, we're going to switch over to Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M and the largest uh, buyout in college football history. Uh, I, I I think this is a, a a buyer beware, I guess you could say, for for the future of college football and, and the large astronomical contracts that we've been seeing. Uh, and then we are going to switch over to uh, some Michigan updates, uh, Harbaugh suspension, all of that. We're going to go through that. Uh, and then we're going to finish up uh, across the pond, if you will. We're going to have some, some English hockey and some charges and an arrest that's been made in, uh, in relation to the Adam Johnson uh, tragic death, but they have charged a man with manslaughter. Uh, we're going to dive into that as well. But first, let's jump right into Arizona. I'll give you a 50,000-foot view, and then I'll, I'll pitch it to both Mike and, and Evan here. It seems I, – I think this is – it's a little bit straightforward for me, but it's – basically news came out a couple days ago, maybe a week ago, that the University of Arizona – talked about cutting sports programs and and that obviously raised a lot of uh red flags of, of, of why they were cutting some sports programs uh and it, it was more alluding to the fact that the school is in some serious financial crisis here uh president told faculty uh last week about a week ago uh that draconian cuts w- will be required because there was a 240 million dollar miscalculation by the university's financial model uh, Arizona was supposed to have an exorbitant amount of money left uh, for about half of the fiscal year. And instead, that was even sh- cut shorter, where they probably only had about a quarter's worth of that. So um, the athletic department has to be drained of a lot of their resources. Um, 
they were talking about loans. It, it, it was kind of confusing to me, but it, it said that they made a $55 million loan during the pan- pandemic, which is not being paid back fast enough. Uh, $40 million of that money was to be repaid over 15 years with interest. And the athletic department is reporting a loss of oh, about $600,000 last year. Regardless, they've got one of the largest subsidies in school history also coming in this past year of $31 million. So it seems like there's a lot of money coming in and out of this athletic university in, in total, and it seems like the athletic department's taking a big hit here. Uh, Arizona is on the move. They're going to the Big 12 next year. Um, with the big TV deals and everything that's being restructured, this could be a, a good thing for them, a, a right time for the move. Regardless, I mean – they're talking about leasing out property, selling the rights to the athletic department. I mean, Evan, I'll pitch it to you. What, what's happening in Arizona? I mean, as it is, they've got a big change moving with the athletic department of, uh, of going to the Big 12. But now this is even crazier now that they potentially might lose some of their you know D1 sports. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? When you talk about a school like Arizona, you're not talking about a low D1, maybe not a lot of national recognition or, or, or low attendance. You're talking about a real – you know, at least in basketball, that's a top five school. I mean, they've been a one seed very often. They've made it deep in March Madness. So this is not an insignificant loss if this were to happen. Um, I mean, talking about selling the athletic department to an outside vendor, that's a first for me. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I uh, don't really even know how that works, to be honest. Like you sell it to a marketing agency or to an athletic agency and they run a school's athletic department. Um, I guess the the side of me would kind of want to see it just to, to see how that plays out. But I think probably not the best result for the athletes uh, and the coaches there. I don't know how that dynamic would work with that balance. So uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I get COVID was, it was a tough time, probably shocks the system for a lot of schools. Revenue is probably real down. I get taking the loans, but uh, being behind on loans, that big of a school, you know, that much revenue being brought in, it's a bit of a head scratcher to me. And, and these solutions are not exactly what I would call like feasible or uh, or really fair to, to the students and the student-athletes there. I'll tell you – I'm sorry, Mike. I'll tell you who the first person who would be chomping at the bit to buy a piece of the athletic department is some sort of NIL collective. I, I wouldn't go through, but I, I, I have to imagine that a collective is going to be first in line to try to make that happen. Mike, what were you going to say? No, I was just about to bring up just the – fundraising in general just to get through to that they have I'm, i mean gronkowski alone is one guy that just recently came out of that like a football the football program so in terms of knocking things down i can't get how they got to this point is interesting to begin with I, i'm 55 million you're not going to get out of fundraising but I, i'm i wonder what route they're going to go other than selling it there's i mean like play fly sports and Learfield that are, I mean, getting super deep into buying ticketing, marketing, almost everything within athletics, like you were mentioning, uh, Evan. So now possibly taking this route. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the only option here. (laughs) I'm interested, Mike, to hear from your perspective. I think, I think what's crazy is, is the, university staff has been chipping in here right so like obviously this isn't this isn't just an athletic and you know an athletics deal here right the the money maker for that school is going to be the athletics and probably that's why that's the easiest one for them to be like yeah let's sell the rights here or whatever that even looks like or we have to obviously cut some programs 
albeit there's Title IX implications with that. You have to, if you're going to cut a female sport or a male sport, like there's got to be, you know, equal seats here. But uh, I mean, I was reading through some of these articles and they've got a physics professor who's making suggestions uh, about, you know, what the possibilities of the athletics department flipping this for a profit. Um, You've got an astronomy professor chipping in, uh, basically saying that, you know, how are we going to let the university get away with making cuts, right? So, I mean, obviously, the president sending a, a mass email out to the entire university, it means that people are going to lose their jobs, right? So it, these professors, albeit probably tenured professors, are, are um, definitely concerned about the, the financial state. And, and Evan and Mike, but like you've both said, this is a massive university. This isn't some you know, low level D1 or even a D2 or D3 school where it's like, okay, like money needs to be moved around here. Like we need to focus on, you know, our donors and our, and our alumni and things like that. There's a huge school that has a huge budget and, and a, a massive amount of, uh, of funds coming in. And like, and like we've said, like they're, they're making a move to big 12. They've got big TV revenue coming in. Like this is a $240 million mistake is, is unbelievable. And, and I have to imagine that there's got to be some sort of checks and balances that just were never checked or balanced. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't imagine um, this going away or this being some sort of uh, hail Mary resolution that some alumni base or donors or whatever can correct. Um, it's definitely going to impact a school for, for years to come. Unless the move to the Big 12 is is super lucrative uh, and they just make a dent for a couple of years. But $240 million is a a lot of cash. Um, Evan, Mike, do you have anything else on it? Yeah, I'll just end on uh, one note. I think the maybe solution here, I'm just reading, Arizona has 23 varsity teams. Big 12 averages 17 varsity teams for all schools in that conference. So would not be surprised to see some regression to the mean there. I would imagine... That's probably a good excuse for them to cut maybe six, hit that average 17, maybe a little more, be a little below average. But yeah, I think probably cutting some varsity teams is going to be on the table for them. It's possible. It's definitely possible. That's a good point. Well, speaking of a lot of money, uh, definitely everybody's eyes have been glued to Texas A&M and the uh, firing of, of Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he, I think, was owed well over a hundred million left on his guaranteed contract. Um, but you know, I, I think I saw the writing on the wall where there was definitely going to have to be some sort of buyout here. There was no way that they were going to allow Jimbo to get into the court system to enforce that contract. Um, so we saw it. We saw a seventy-seven million dollar buyout of his contract. Uh, that is the largest buyout in college football history, uh, maybe for a while. Um, I mean. I think power five schools have in general, this, this uh, past year was around $150 million. Most of the average around like 15 being the highest. And now you have, you know, quadruple that, uh, you know, even more so where Jimbo's getting 77 million here. Um, Evan, I know you are in the weeds on this. Um, can you just lay out this structure and what this is going to look like? And uh, are we are we going to have another Bobby Bonilla day with Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher day? Yeah, I'll, I'll hit you with the contract details, and I'll hit you with some numbers that may put this contract in perspective. So, good news for Mets fans. Bobby Bonilla day is coming to a close, but Jimbo Fisher day will take over 
You have a new thing to point at. You don't have to worry about Bob Bonilla because Jimbo Fisher is going to get $7.2 million per year through 2031. So that's, you know, seven years starting next year. And then as a nice little bonus on top of that, in the next 60 days, he's going to get 19.2. So he is set for life. And I think the kicker in all this is that if he goes and finds another job, he's getting paid all that money. There is no offset there. So he has full incentive to go double dip in that contract. Um, give you some numbers for perspective there. So power five schools. Just, just, before, just, just before you get into the perspective, Evan, why is that a big deal? Why is it in comparison? We hear about other buyouts and things like that. Is, is, is it different that this has no sort of uh, opt out, if you will, or, or uh, offset where he gets a new job that, you know, it's is it commonplace for that to happen, or is it more like, you know, you got a guaranteed contract here, but if you end up getting more money or getting another, because because the opportunity here is that I was supposed to be paid this money for the next X amount of years, and now I'm losing that opportunity with you because of the termination. But if I get another job now, I'm still making that amount of money, so it'll offset. But but that's not the case here. Yeah, and this is uh, pretty surprising when I saw that because first thing that came to mind was Cliff Kingsbury last year getting fired by the Cardinals. He had an offset in his contract, and there was a lot of debate about, well, is he going to try? Because I guess he doesn't have to. He can go sit and not worry about getting the offset because he may get paid more by not doing that. But here, paid to do nothing. Fisher's best of both worlds. He gets paid to do nothing, and then if he wants to go work, he gets double pay. So I can't believe that that contract has no offset in it. Good for Jimbo. I think whoever negotiated that deal on the A&M side may need to learn about, you know, contract offsets and try to implement those in because they're getting crushed, man. $76 million. I, I think I, I think Jimbo had the leverage, though. He had a guaranteed contract. So if you're going to contract enforcement here and, and he and he files suit, he had the leverage here. He, you know, he probably wanted that clause in there that there was going to be no offset or else he's just going to go to the court. I mean, there's still this uh, – the courts don't like to see that because you want to have good faith efforts amongst them to, to have some sort of amicable agreement here. But I have to imagine, it, obviously, it's in Jimbo's favor. So that's that's coming from his camp there and, and kudos to his attorneys. But the leverage is you have to put the offset or no offset clause in there because it's a guaranteed contract. We can get 25 more million dollars out of you if we go to court. Yeah. So, I mean, good for Jimbo. Good Good strategic negotiation there. Like I said, he's got 19.2 coming the next two months. He's got seven a year to do whatever he wants. So, you know, maybe he'll go coach somewhere else. Obviously doesn't have to with that kind of money. But, uh, yeah, and then to put go those go, numbers go in. Go coach a high school team. Have some fun. Yeah, exactly. Go coach like a local. I mean, hey, you go to like Texas high school. That's about as big as colleges sometimes. So go have a good time down there. But Power 5 since the beginning of 2022, $146 million owed to coaches that they fired. That's insane in one year, $150 million basically of dead money. And then Jimbo's buyout is $6 million less than the entire Kansas State Athletic Department expenses. So there's some good perspective for you. Jimbo Fisher is worth about the same as Kansas State's Athletic Department. All right, I, I want to I, I wanna go back to this. We were talking about before uh, the, the Twitter um dm that i say i gotta read this post just because i was getting a kick out of it um this is coming from um this is peter burns espn 
He did a little bit of a breakdown for himself here. Jimbo Fisher will make $26,000 a day, a day until 2031, roughly $1,083 an hour. So that's a, that's like a big law attorney. That's a, that's a good chunk of change per hour. Uh, so he said, assuming he's got a good night's sleep, Jimbo Fisher made $8,666 last night. God bless the absurdity of college football. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mike, what what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on, I guess, the overall picture here, too? Because we, we've heard about buyouts, and Evan just said it, you know, almost $150 million in buyouts here. But but is is this a uh, you know, a beware, a buyer beware for, for future college football programs? Or does A&M see this as like a, you know what, we made $190 million in revenue last year, you know, this is not that big of a deal for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's not that big of a deal, but uh, I do agree with that sentiment. Just, I mean, they made a boatload of money. They are a top program in the country. If they can almost be like, ah, whoops, we forgot to put that in. You know, like, uh, let's let's fix that going forward. Uh, they're always going to find a top candidate to come coach their program. It's just like, I mean, it's getting to the point where these college programs are like pro sports anyway. So um, I think they're just using a lot of the models that professional sports are using and have been using for years. Like, you know, you mentioned my, my Mets thing in the background. Scherzer's, Scherzer got paid for by like three or four teams. Or he had three teams this year. So uh, maybe Jimbo, like you said, goes and coaches, I mean, anywhere. I mean, even if he gets a, you know, a small contract, he's still going to be making millions upon millions every year. So, uh, you know, I think that'd be personally, that's how, that's the route I would go for. <laughs> Just collect as many paychecks as you can. <laughs> well, Scherzer, Scherzer was still getting paid by the Nationals. Yep. The it? Nationals, the Mets, uh, then yeah, the Rangers. So, I mean, he was getting paid mm-hmm. 60, 70. <laughs> So, so here's here's the uh, the question for the first two topics. Who who made the bigger flub here, University of Arizona or Texas A&M? Arizona. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> it's got to be Arizona. They lost a lot more money in a way stupider way. Like you fire a coach, you owe money. That's not exactly uncommon nowadays. You lose, you know, you can't pay back two hundred and forty million dollars as a a giant athletic program. That's tougher for me to rationalize, I think. Yeah, and the consequences yeah, that you yeah. mentioned, Mike. You know, like the faculty and staff, the students are losing out on, you know, there's a lot of students that it goes way deeper into the overall university and like thousands upon right. thousands of people. It's great. I mean, that's a deep-rooted issue right now. All right. Well, speaking of deep-rooted issues, I think it's been one uh, across professional sports, college sports, is sign stealing. Sign stealing, you know, the old uh, stealing the playbook, figuring out, trying to get ahead of your, of your, uh, your opponents. Um, I will for, forever, forever, never uh, forget and forgive the Houston Astros organization for the uh, trash can, all this garbage, sign stealing stuff. Can never, I can never live that down. Uh, maybe that's just my uh, diehard Yankees in me, but I, I think all of Major League Baseball feels the same way, uh, as, unless you're a Houston Astros fan. 
But uh, so let's jump over to Michigan and some updates. Uh, Mike, I know you've been very much in the weeds with this with Dan about uh, Harbaugh and the sign stealing and the suspension. And now we've got a hearing coming up. And um, at first, I think what I I, was funny, I, I was texting with Taryn and Holly about how Harbaugh, like all of a sudden, like the, the punishment came out that he was banned from the sidelines. And then, and then it was like, you suspended for the rest of the year and things like that. So, so Mike, I would love if you could take our listeners through kind of a, a timeline here and then just take us to what the next steps are. Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, yeah, Dan and I have been covering it. So if you uh, have been with us, uh, welcome to, I mean, stage 15, it feels like of uh, this situation. Um, so, I mean, back in October, I mean, this stems from, like you had mentioned, sign stealing. Um, if you have been kind of living under a rock, uh, Michigan being accused of sign stealing. Colleges, with college sports, uh, they hold up signs. You know, it's a lot easier to do to steal signs. You kind of start figuring out because they don't have, actually, just to kind of give you guys for perspective they don't have microphones in the helmets so um a lot of the play calling goes through physical signs through uh, different types of communication that are much easier to be uh visibly seen and stolen uh in in that in that sense so i mean you heard early on a bunch of coaches not so much speaking in support of michigan but you know kind of being like yeah i mean this is going to happen this is part of sports however um, like you had mentioned, it is a pretty deep rooted issue now. Um, back in October, uh, the NCAA informed the Big Ten of all of the allegations, and now we're not even a, uh, just about to hit a month um, in a few days. And we've gone through the suspension of Connor Stallions, of the alleged person that, you know, sign stealer. Um, that he was purchasing non-Big Ten game tickets. He was on the sideline in Central Michigan, or allegedly on the sideline in Central Michigan um, gear. I mean, some of the stuff was so comical. We were you know, laughing about it in some of these episodes. With went so far as to having almost like an early 2000s like spy glasses, um, you know, with a, a, you know, a light just like flashing off of, you know, like how they didn't notice that. Um, it was just unbelievable. So... Now and and Stallion Stallions had has an interesting way of how he got to Michigan as well. Former U.S. Marine, definitely highly trained, and maybe some some uh, uh, interesting tactics of, of uh, espionage, if you will. Maybe I don't know. He's not a, not a spy, but but interesting connection there with the military background. But but he submitted uh, I saw this a six hundred page manifesto to the school about his expressing his desire to work for the Michigan football program. And they took him on as a volunteer. And then he was full-time in 2022. Um, interesting, interesting way of getting there. And then, and then the, 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 the whole thing crumbles down with the, the spy, the Michigan spy gate. If you yeah. Know. I mean, that's basically how I feel about this and you know what I was comparing it to on former episodes where, I mean, this is, just the new England situation in college, as far as, you know, like, I mean, this is to that level. It's to me and, and, you know, that extreme, the way that they did it, sign stealing to me is what it is in different capacities, but like, this is, you know, they're 
if the spy glasses weren't allegedly involved, it wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> but uh, and how and how perfect is it the alma mater of Tom Brady? It all comes back to Tom Brady. It does, you know. As a Jets fan, you know I love to hear that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but now we're obviously getting into court. Um, so Big Ten met with Michigan uh, early in November, so a couple of weeks ago, um, showing basically uncontrolled uncontroverted evidence so uh you can't i mean there's they're laying it out so that um everything is very obvious um they can't it, it, you just can't dispute it if you're michigan it's there's pictures of connor stallions or who is allegedly connor stallions on the sideline um there's kind of a lot of video and picture proof uh that it's difficult to dispute so now michigan got rid of connor stallions um, of course, with some pay, um, they, the big 10 did of course end up, if you guys haven't seen recently, uh, this past weekend, Harbaugh was suspended for three games. So that's kind of the big to do here and kind of what we're getting into, um, after my elaborate timeline conversation. Uh, but yeah, so he was suspended for the three games. They beat Penn state this past weekend and now the judge set the hearing because of the fact that they suspended him on a Friday. He wasn't able to actually dispute anything. Um, Dan and I were discussing about whether, I mean, due process was even given to him just because the fact it was over the weekend. And then he couldn't, he couldn't, he was, there you go. That, that Saturday, that first game, no matter what, it was happening. So he couldn't really do anything about it, stayed away. And now... They won regardless, and now in two days, as of our recording um, tomorrow, as of you know, listening on the, that Thursday, uh, the judge set the hearing. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of interested. Are you guys tapped in at a big college fans? You know, college football and sports fans, because I know you know being up, you know, we're up here, the Northeast. It's a little different. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about Michigan? Like, because this is a big, there's a lot of emotion behind this. Yeah, so I'm a recent college football fan. My brother just moved to Texas, so I'm full steam on the Longhorn. So I've just gotten in, I think, at the right time. And I saw this story pop up. Yeah, and obviously, uh, as Mike said before, as someone who's been scorned by the Houston Astros cheating scandal, I see another one pop up, and I'm going to have to deep dive into it. And obviously, what Stallions is doing is was cheating. I think that's indisputable at this point. I think where I maybe have a disconnect with the ruling so far is that they said they suspended Harbaugh not because they have any information that he was aware of the scheme, but because he embodies the university for football purposes. That, to me, is kind of an interesting justification to suspend a coach, like, do I think Harbaugh knew? Probably. Do I think you can suspend someone and then be like, well, we don't really have evidence for it. We're just saying that someone on his staff did it, so we're going to suspend him. Probably not. I think you probably need a bit more proof. I know that's what the hearing is for, but the suspension right away before having some kind of conclusive evidence linking Stallions to Harbaugh, I think was a little early. I think it probably doesn't set a great precedent. You know, what if... uh a staff member does something, you know, not related to cheating. Does the head coach get suspended because it's reflected on him? It's his staff. Like, where do we draw that line? So didn't love the the reasoning there from from the uh, the conference. 
Yeah, you usually see that more with like systemic systems of some sort of illicit activity. Like if we want to stay with the Houston Astros example, like all of the the upper echelon of the Houston Astros are the ones who got punished, not the players who concocted it and kind of played it out. So, you know, Cora got got tossed, the GM got tossed. Like like the every everybody else kind of like was the ones who were the, you know, they oversee everything and and you know, they be, they should have known, they should have acted, they should have done all these things. So I, I think, I'm, Evan, I agree with you that it's like, it's, you know, Harbaugh's taking the fall for it, but it's his program. The, the way that they're going to make that determination is this is your program, you're in control, you're overseeing this, and and you should know that stuff like this is happening. And if, and if you don't know, then we need to make action or make it known that there's going to be repercussions. Um, because if you look at right now, what needs to happen is they need to make sure that a precedent is set, that something like this that goes on needs to be nipped in the bud by the program itself before it even gets out. Because it'd be kind of, if, if Harbaugh skates by where, you know, okay, like you didn't really know, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really your dealings here, but you should, like it's your program. You you can't go through a time like this where you you could just like, oh, I didn't know. Like my hands are, you know, my hands are tied. Like he was doing it, I didn't know. We were just benefiting from it. So it's 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 a little bit kind of both ways. So they have to give him enough of a punishment because like this is your program. You have the responsibility to ensure that your coaching staff has the, the highest integrity, especially in a time now where <sighs> integrity and, and amateurism and all that stuff is already called into question with college with not well. Not specifically college gambling, but sports gambling, sports gambling in certain states with college gambling and all that stuff, NIL, all this stuff about you know improper inducements and things like that. Then you have actual implications of cheating within the game. So I think it's just a weird area for NCAA right now. I think I think it, Mike, to your point about the due process argument, I, I that you and Dan were kind of talking about, like it is, it wasn't fair that it was such a last minute determination on the Friday eve. Of a big game, like away game in Penn State, white out Penn State, like, and they they came away with the win. But also, what's interesting is like he's being suspended for the games, not the practices. So like he can still coach during the week, but just not in the game. Which it's it's the most. I mean, it's it's, the most NCAA consequence ever. It's like yeah, you can coach and set up the entire game for six days of the week and then sorry the seventh day on that saturday when they're just implementing his entire plan i mean you know like there's there's only so much coaching you do on game day so do we need to play the clip of alan iverson we talking about practice (laughs) but you know it's with football it's they're just setting up basically especially in college just setting up the play you know the whole playbook is what it is so um you know, I'm I'm, I'm sure it, this is just setting the precedent right now for future schools. Like, I mean, there were some coaches. I'm telling you, to, you know, not to accuse any anybody, but you know, some of the coaches uh, that were coming out and speaking almost like in agreement with Michigan. Like, hey, you know, it's kind of you know, this happens. You know, we're we're, we're doing it too. You know, without explicitly saying it. Um, so I think. You know, Michigan's and Jim Harbaugh are going to be the scapegoat here, especially Jim Harbaugh. Um, but I'm interested, I mean, to see what actually comes of the 17th. 
Yeah. So what's what's the prediction here for Friday's uh, Friday's hearing? Do we think that Sarba done for the season? Is he out? Can he? I mean, Michigan's two right now in the rankings, and they're ten and zero, and they're they're making a push uh, with with Georgia and Ohio State. Um, who's the other one that's right behind them? Who's four right now? Is it uh, Florida State? Yeah, Florida State's uh, ten and zero. You know, I mean, it's. It, what what's going to happen here? What 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 are your predictions for the outcome here for Harbaugh's punishment? He's already served one game suspension. He's been given a three game suspension pending the hearing. Yeah, I think uh, probably uphold the suspension. I think it would be somewhat shocking to me to suspend him through the rest of the year. I think politics will probably play a bit in that as well, seeing as Michigan's in the limelight. Although maybe it'll play the other way where this is like a really hard message to be like, it doesn't matter if you're 10-0 and 0 and you're ranked number two or number three, you do something wrong, you know, punishment's the punishment. Um, but gut feeling would be uphold the three-game suspension. Like I said, I think if they find maybe conclusive evidence in that hearing that Hardball was linked to Stallions, I could see that suspension being pushed the rest of the year, maybe through a bit into next year. Um, but going off what we have now, I think three-game suspension, send a message, and then you know, maybe dive a bit deeper into into this whole controversy, see if they can link Harbaugh to Stallions, and maybe that punishment gets expanded if there's something there. Yeah, I mean, you agree, yeah, Mike? I would say the the holdup of the three games is in my, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, that's the way that they go. Um, but I I don't see anything really beyond that, personally. Um, especially for so, so just to be clear too, the the the, two, the remaining two games on the suspension would be the end of the regular season for Michigan. So, so the the I guess the question I should have better posed is: is, is there going to be any playoff implications of suspension here? But yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the 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 two games. I think it's they've got Maryland and then another big game, Ohio State. They got to play still um, on the week of Thanksgiving. So. It's uh, it's definitely going to be tough. I think they can still they, they still have a really good program this year. Um, so it's uh, it's only time will tell. Friday will tell, and we'll and we'll be uh, be able to have more then, and we'll definitely keep you updated. But one more topic, and we'll get you all out of here. Um, it, it's a, a very tragic story, sad story here. Um, Adam Johnson, former. Uh, American play, American hockey player. He was, you know, with the uh, Penguins organization. He bounced around. Um, he's now playing. He was playing for the Nottingham Panthers uh, in uh, England, and they were playing the Sheffield Steelers uh, when there was a kind of. A, I was trying to watch. It. I didn't, couldn't see too many videos. I was watching a lot of still frames of it. It looked like an open ice contact here. Uh, and a blade came up and hit Adam Johnson in the neck. And uh, unfortunately, he tragically passed away as a result of this fatal neck injury. Um, when that happened uh, across, I, I would say, the world, uh, there was a, a big pitch for increased neck guards. I mean, you, you do see some players wearing neck guards. I mean, let's let's take let's take a, a little bit of a time hop back let's let's go back into the the maybe 70s and 80s where hockey players didn't even wear helmets or face masks right so it's it's just kind of a progression of safety equipment that we've seen throughout some of these more uh, aggressive i would say um professional sports um where hockey now is getting more towards of protection on um ankles from being cut you know with with uh the the 
um, skate, your neck. I mean, you, there, there's some tragic ones. I, I remember the um, was it the hockey goalie that got his neck split, and the 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 AT guy came in there and like went to a jugular and pinned. It was crazy. I mean, there's some crazy, crazy, tragic things that happen here. But you know, uh, amongst all of that and the news of of um, you know the increase in, in neck guards and and some of the some of the American programs, minor league programs, you know, requiring neck guards. NHL hasn't really made a determination now. We now have uh, charges that have been brought against. It's kind of confusing. I mean, some of the some of them are saying um, who the player is. Some are just saying by a man. Uh, a man was uh, so. What it was is I think his name is Adam Adam Petgrave. Uh, Adam Petgrave, no, I'm sorry, Adam Johnson. Uh, what's Petgrave's first name? Matt, Matt, that's right, sorry, Matt Petgrave. So Matt Petgrave was the player whose skate was the one who hit Adam Johnson in the neck. Uh, and again, I was trying to watch really what happened here, uh, but charges were brought, uh, manslaughter charges were brought. Uh, again, it's kind of unclear about who was actually arrested and the person who, they say the man who was arrested was set on bail and, I can't imagine anybody else being involved here unless there was some scheme here to take out Adam Johnson uh, for manslaughter here. But uh, it, I have to imagine that it would be Matt Peckrave. I'm uncertain, though, because it, it's kind of up in the air of who it might be. But regardless, um, Peckrave was one who kind of had like this open ice contact with uh, another player uh, who was on the Panthers, so the, the Adam Johnson's team. And his leg kind of goes up in the air where he ends up you know, blade high at his neck. Cause Adam Johnson wasn't like leaning down or anything. He was kind of standing, standing straight up. Uh, and, and they're now bringing charge of manslaughter. Now, now it's interesting here. Um, speaking in the mind of somebody who practices in criminal defense, this is, this is, first of all, this is British law. It's not far off. Uh, but if you, anybody here knows about the difference between murder and manslaughter, you have this, uh, it's a very specific intent crime. And if any sort of intent, uh, you know, is not to be proven, then it, it'll drop to manslaughter. But, um, I mean, England has different levels of, of murder and manslaughter here. You have, you know, uh, voluntary, involuntary manslaughter, negligent. There's gross negligence here. There's still levels of intent here. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the biggest thing that you, you have to look at here is obviously with a, being a sport, there's this assumption of risk. Um, so no matter what, like say my thought here is, is if they go with the involuntary manslaughter, this grossly negligent conduct that they're trying to charge here, they would have have to still show that that he was doing something with some level of intent, Never, not necessarily the intent to complete the act, but the intent to do something that would be so grossly negligent that you could ca- cause this severe bodily injury where he had to have lifted his leg up and gone straight for the neck, knowing what he was kind of going to do. I just don't see that here. And then you kind of couple that with this being um, a very dangerous sport. I'll just say that it is one of the more dangerous ones where you are literally skating around ice with razor blades on your feet. Uh, and, And this has happened before. I mean, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. There have been hockey players that have also been charged with different uh, crimes because it's also a vicious sport. Fighting is allowed. There's been many a times where in, it's very clear intentional acts that are done in the form of some sort of aggression or fighting here. I just don't see that. Um, now, everything that I'm seeing uh, from kind of different uh, attorneys, barristers, 
uh, in England is, you know, the thought of this is just being investigated because they want to be thorough and that it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're going to pursue it. But I don't know. I, I'd love to get, Mike, Evan, your thoughts on it of will they actually pursue this? Will they, you know, how, how would they be able to pursue this? You know, in my eyes, I, I see this more as just a, a freak accident. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel that, like you had mentioned, they're going to be able to fully pursue this. I don't, like, you can't, uh, they have, they had allegedly had some prior history of issues, and Matt Petgrave is one of those, like, more, um, I guess, aggressive players, but this is obviously an extreme, you know, this is beyond the scope of the aggression in hockey, um, you know, body checking someone or fighting someone. Um, when, you know, I, when I watched it, I don't feel, I feel that his act was a little bit, I, I, it is negligent to me to lift your leg to that level. I mean, it, it's almost like a karate kick in the motion. So the way that they, you know, obviously they don't get it right all the time, but the kicking motion in hockey went just for a goal. I mean, this is like a, I mean, a straight kick up in the air. Um, personally, as someone that has watched, and I mentioned when we first covered it, I mean, thousands upon thousands of hours of hockey, I've never seen anything like this. Um, and many people that I've spoken to that have played that play or have played the sport have never seen any, like just the way that his leg went. However, being able to prove that, and I don't, like you mentioned, it's in England. Uh, so I don't know how. I just don't. I just don't know how they're going to be able to prove that um, aspect. <laughs> I mean, it was intentional, right? It's not like he took his skate off and put it on right. his hand and was going yeah. for a punch. Like it, it's yeah. yes, it, it's definitely like an uncommon body movement. But I mean, he was being hit from the other side as well. It looked like to me, right? So it's kind of yeah. I just the. The height, I, I, I've never, I've just never seen someone's leg get that hot, like up to someone's head. Usually they'll make like a concerted effort to, it's very rare that someone's skate gets around someone's neck or head. Uh, it does happen, you know, but again, those are very few and far between. And what, I mean, it's obviously a tragedy when people do get cut. I, yeah, like you had mentioned, I mean, growing up, I remember the goalie was, I mean, that was like a big thing. I, I mean, that was like one of the most viewed YouTube videos at one point, which is the goalie getting cut in the neck. And it's like, there's so many close calls, but generally with the skates, not this side standing, like you mentioned, standing up. And even if you get hit, your just legs don't naturally, like his legs just don't naturally go back that way. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I, I'm, that's kind of where I, my point of view on that. No, absolutely. Evan, Evan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think when I first saw the video, I think the gut reaction is like, oh, that was on purpose. Like, you don't kick that high. I think that's just like the human part of like a tragedy, wanting like to blame and, and not wanting to be like, oh, it's just, you know, an accident. Um, but I think after like diving into it a bit, watching it a couple times, I think I'm more convinced that someone wouldn't be so evil as to intentionally throw a razor blade essentially at someone's throat in the middle of a game. Like, I think probably just, you know, an unfortunate set of circumstances led to a, a bad angle on the kick and, and the hit, you know, turned his body a certain way. I mean, we saw it happen, not similarly, but we had a throat slash Richard Zednick in like 2008 
that was one that he was on the floor, so it's obviously different. But, you know, I think I think the human part of me wants to believe that someone would not kill someone over a hockey game. Um, and seeing the kick, you know, back recently, it does look like the leg goes up pretty high. I think it's – I understand the other side saying it's intentional. I've never seen a hockey player really get his leg that high in a game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it'd be tough to really prove that there was intent there. I think you could probably chalk it up to assumption of the risk. I don't know how they treat that in, in Britain. But, yeah, I mean, hockey is a super violent sport. Whether it's a throat slash or whether it's a hit that really puts the hurt on you, you know, there is assumption of risk there at some some degree. So it's interesting. I think if there is going to be a charge like involuntary manslaughter, you know, but even then I, I, I would find a hard press to prove that gross negligence element of that. Yeah, it's. And, and what I was quoting before was, uh, a, a, I was reading, I think it was the Associated Press, uh, a criminal defense solicitor, criminal defense attorney, uh, said that basically the way that they kind of investigate manslaughter charges in England is it's really not one way or the other. It's not really a, a straight shot. They, they basically take something that very well could look like an accident from all the way up to something that potentially could be a murder, but they'll knock it down to manslaughter. So it's it's more so just an investigative piece here. I don't know what more will come out of it. I mean, obviously they think they have enough to, to file a charge, arrest the man, and then he's been out on bail. So um, it's, there's going to be more that comes and, and we'll follow it. Um, I, I think it's interesting, especially with the crossover between this assumption of the risk and, and this uh, gross act that goes so far above and beyond any sort of uh, conduct that you can assume when you play a sport like that, given the nature uh, you know, of serious bodily injury that you can face at all with hockey. So um, it's definitely something that we're going to follow, but uh, definitely interesting. Um, and of course, with the crossover of, of British law too, you, you have to, to take it with a grain of salt with how they're going to operate their legal system. Uh, Evan, Mike, anything else uh, on this? I'm good. All right. I know Evan has been very eager to to let us know uh, about everything going on with the Yankees. So let's jump over to uh, a little what to watch for here. Evan, what do you got for us? Yeah, I think uh, the Yankees buzz is that Brian Cashman may be on the hot seat. Uh, so he had that very scathing uh, media day where he was throwing some F-bombs around, you know, getting pretty defensive. People thought, you know, that's just, you know, guy thinks he knows more than everyone else, which it's his job too, so I get that part of it. Then recently he comes out, someone asked him about, you know, plans for John Carlos Stanton in the lineup, and he, he says something along the lines of, we expect him to get hurt. You know, it's part of his game, essentially saying he's been hurt before, we're expecting him to get hurt again. And listen, objectively, he's not wrong. But it's like that Stephen A. Smith meme, you know, you don't have to say it. Um, so I thought that was a very odd comment. I think the angle there is we're trying to get him to waive his no trade clause and get him to, you know, get that $325 million contract out the door. Stanton, even though I, I do love him, one of my favorite players, has underperformed to the money he's being paid. If that's their way of baiting him to waive the no-trade clause, I personally think it's a very bad way of going about it. I don't think it sends a good message in the clubhouse. I don't think it sends a good message to free agents. Um, 
you know, uh, Giancarlo's agent, Joel Wolf, came out and said, you know, a good reminder that if you play in New York, you're going to be made a Teflon emotionally and physically, kind of like a dig. Obviously, Joel Wolf represents Yamamoto, uh, you know, top free agent in the MLB market right now. If I had to take a guess, if the Yankees are offering the most money, that comment kind of goes under the door. But maybe if it's like, you know, Mets and Yankees are offering a similar amount of money, that comment was made, maybe that pushes him towards the Mets. I do think money talks in agency. I think money talks in professional sports. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it was a low blow to a guy who maybe isn't available all the time, but postseason comes around. He's been uh, real solid in the postseason, super professional during the media days. Yeah, just thought it was underhanded. Didn't, didn't love that comment. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, I feel like he's Cashman's pushing it at this point. Um, this I I have never seen. I mean, you've seen, I guess, like you know, someone like Jerry Jones calls out players. You know, is very honest and brutal about a lot of things. But I've never seen any of this from like a GM personally, or like you know, someone that doesn't have full control and ownership of the team. You know, that that won't get fired. But I mean, this is. He's on. He's got to be. I don't know. How, like I've never. Obviously, they've never been fired. I, I don't think I've never seen a GM get fired, or a lot of people get fired. I guess before the season, uh, right before, pretty before much right the before winter the meeting. Season. But yeah, like I mean, he's getting to that. It's getting to that point almost. Like it, it, pretty recently, and just I mean, the number they haven't been the you know. As as someone that's you know been the little brother of all of my Yankee fan uh, friends, like this is not it's not been the Yankees, you know, <laughs> like so I'm and that's in part you know due to Cashman, so you know I'm kind of kind of curious. Hal kind of walked back what he said too. He was like, "I love the passion. I, I would disagree with his cussing, but I I, I share the passions because." The Yankees organization from the top down are frustrated at, at nauseum because they think that the fans hate them because they're too analytical and they say that they have the largest, you know, scouting staff and whatnot. So it's uh, neither here nor there. Um, I think Stanton stays. I, th- I think he stays. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, you know, I, personally, I don't think Stanton even gives a crap. You know, like he he probably is like, yeah, I get hurt all the time. I'm frustrated as hell too. Like it's it's not. It's not it's it's not wrong. Like okay, like I wish I wasn't hurt too. Like I can't I can't do anything about it. You're paying me three hundred million dollars to play forty games a year. Like yeah, it's frustrating. Um, but we'll see. All right, we'll we'll jump into we'll jump into a better edge segment there with with uh, the pick. So I, I I'll have a quick one here. Uh, like I said, we'll be back with the uh, NIL hour very soon. But there have been some big updates in the NIL world. Uh, one is the House versus NCAA case. They were uh, granted class certification uh, by our our favorite judge out of California, Judge Claudia Wilkin, uh, the Alston the Alston case judge. Uh, she has been definitely an advocate for the uh, athletes and the future of name, image, likeness, and representation. You know, uh, status of of these athletes. So. Big deal here moving forward as, as they're granted uh, class certification in their antitrust uh, lawsuit versus the NCAA. Um, this is the lawsuit that was filed by a former uh, swimmer of Arizona State, Grant House, and then Sedona Prince, who at the time was at Oregon basketball. 
uh, it was an Oregon basketball player. Um, you know, they, this is, this is going to, uh, impact, uh, it's almost, it's almost in my eyes, like this sort of back pay because the NCAA didn't allow them to earn any sort of compensation. They had a big social media following. They couldn't take advantage of it because the name image and likeness rules, which now are not even rules. They're just a, it's a, it's a, the wild, wild west still, it's not really changing. Um, but basically it's saying that we could have made a lot of money as athletes. We had platforms and we couldn't do that because of your rules. Uh, and we think that this is, you know, an antitrust violation. Alston was a different case because it was uh, about, um, you know, um, educational benefits and things like that. And uh, limiting different, different sort of, uh, um, I can't speak right now, but, the, but, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's not like specifically cater to name members like this is what I'm trying to say. So this is, this is going to be the first time where it's about uh, the actual earning uh, value of, of an athlete. So definitely interesting, big, big win for, for uh, student athletes for class certification. That's over 10,000 athletes of, of that time that they're now representing for the class. So uh, definitely going to keep our eyes on that as that case moves further and inches closer to uh Supreme Court. All right, Mike, Better Edge. Let's do it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, sponsored by Better Edge, we always, each week, go with our NFL picks. Uh, we all pick one game. Uh, Dan, because he's not here, I had him send in his pick. Uh, he's still uh, ahead of me in the season series. Last week, he picked Michigan. Um, Michigan did fantastic. Uh, last week, I had the 49ers. They covered by a mile. I mean, I couldn't believe that spread. I think it was uh, minus three on the 49ers. And they, I mean, they killed the Jaguars. So um, for this week, uh, I'm excited to continue rolling. Um, I don't like Dan's pick of the Browns personally, minus one. That's his choice. Uh, with Deshaun out and everybody, I mean, I, I, especially against the Steelers defense, I, I can't imagine that being a good pick. Sorry, I'm going to talk all this trash while he's not here too because – uh, I mean, come on, man. What are we doing? Uh, but uh, for me, myself, uh, I'm going to go with the Chargers minus three on the Packers. Uh, I, I can't imagine Justin Herbert not throwing for you know 300 plus yards on that defense. Um, they have some, you know, Packers have a good secondary, but outside of that, um, you know, they're not going to put up the points that the Chargers always put up. I just watched the Jets uh, not be able to keep up with them on Monday night. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's a good pick this week. That's mine. I'm going to keep it rolling. Uh, Evan, how are you feeling this week? Uh, I am going to hit the Rams at an even money at home against the Seahawks conditioned on if Matt Stafford is going to play. He's questionable right now. I think it's probably smart to toss that bet in now. Uh, if he gets cleared, that line might move a bit. I just, I am a Ravens fan, for those who don't know, and I just watched the Ravens absolutely stomp the Seahawks 38-6. I like Geno Smith. Don't think he's an elite quarterback. I think the Rams still have a great roster. I think they're kind of underrated in the NFC. Um, and I love home teams. I love betting home teams. So I like the Rams at an even money there. I'm I'm going to ride with the Broncos here. The Broncos have been on fire. I think what's their are they minus 2 right now? Minus 2 and a half on the Vikings. The Vikings have been have been fading. Uh they're still hot, I would guess you could say. Um but I mean with JJ gone, I, I think it's a big deal. 
Uh, and the Broncos have had some big wins. I mean, the, the the Monday night game against the Bills was was insane. I mean, granted, the Bills forgot how to count and they lost that game, but um, it, Broncos Broncos ride. Let's let's ride. I love it. Yeah, they've been hot. I mean, I had uh, I rode the Broncos with Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy uh, holding me up in fantasy this past weekend. So I could appreciate the Broncos. Big shout out to Denver. <laughs> Sutton Sutton's toe touch was unbelievable for my fantasy team. <laughs> that was, I mean, one of the better catches of the year. So, yeah, he said it was like a three percent chance he could catch that ball. Insane. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, football's been crazy. I mean, it's been a crazy, crazy year, and uh, the world of sports law has been even crazier. So, I love covering it with everybody. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, it's. It's. It's been a year. This has been a year. We're getting we're getting close. We always do something fun too. The conduct team always does something fun for a year end cap. So we'll have we'll have something cooked up here. Obviously, we have uh, our writing competition too. Um, you know, so we've got a lot of things going on. Um, so you know, for all of us here, uh, the conduct detrimental team, Evan, Mike, myself, the Dans. Uh, shout out to our NIL team, Holly and uh, Taryn. You know, and all of us over here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.